bomb, I think. Everybody and welcome to the new episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. How are you doing, Venom? Greetings and salutations, Death Angels. I welcome <laughs> the Death Angels to the show this week, since all they can do is hear. I'm going to assume they're listening to us right now. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How you doing? Doing well. Um, glad to be, you know, continuing to be back in the theater. We're actually starting to rack up some. Uh, some viewings now it, it it's actually feeling real like the the effect of like oh my god i'm back to the theater has worn off and now it's starting to be like okay yeah, yeah. this is normal again <laughs> yeah for me it's been almost two months of going almost every weekend so yeah at this point it's old hat again <laughs> yeah cool all right and then also joining us as always it's don and ellie how are you doing don i was being quiet i was told this was a quiet place right <laughs> yeah. What's going on, everyone? Yeah, great to be back as always. <laughs> All right. Well, um, it should be no mystery about what we're covering. We announced it at the end of uh, our last episode. Don kind of gave you a hint right there too. So for those uninitiated, we are doing a Quiet Place two, uh, and I will go right to IMD, uh, IMD, IMDb for the synopsis. Following the events at home, the Abbott family now face the terrors of the outside world. Forced to venture into the unknown, they realize the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats lurking beyond the sand path. All right. Uh, this one was also directed by Krasinski, written by Krasinski, uh, although there are a couple co-writers. And then uh, the three uh, members of the family are also starring in it, and also Cillian Murphy. None of this should be a surprise for people who watch trailers. I mean, you know, pretty standard stuff. No spoilers with any of that info. So, general thoughts. We will get into those first. As always, Venom, you're up. A quiet Place 2, what did you think? Well, I mean, any longtime listeners of the show will probably remember, you know, how much Mike and I pretty much loved uh, the first movie across the board. So, it's not going to be a, much of a surprise to the listeners that, yet again, yeah, I absolutely love this movie. 
Um, there are a couple of things that I am going to bring to the table that are uh, on the negative side of it, which are probably going to hinder it from being uh, on a par with the first. Obviously, with a film like this, there's going to be a lot of been there, done that. Um, so obviously, we're going to get a lot of you know people being quiet and people you know um, taking precautions to not make noise, blah blah blah. Um, but at the same time, since the scope of this one is a lot bigger, um, there's in both a positive and a negative way, there's a lot of uh, added aspects to it this time. There's a lot more crowd scenes. There's a lot more, um, you know, dialogue, obviously. I mean, with the first one being centered around the family, um, there wasn't as much dialogue, uh, you know, with them being quiet. With this one, you know, obviously, without giving away too many spoilers, um, it's a lot more dialogue driven, actually, with this film, as opposed to just the great performances of the family in the first one. Um Speaking of the performances, um, because people actually get to speak, we actually get a lot more, you know, top tier performances here. I think Emily Blunt absolutely nails it, though we don't get as much of her in this film as I would have liked to have seen as we got in the first one for very obvious reasons, which we'll get into in the spoiler section. But um, I thought Killian Murphy did a, a, an amazing job with his role as, you know, a, a dad who pretty much lost his entire family in the um, during the day one events and uh, just how he's been handling the uh, post apocalyptic era. And um, there what uh, the movie starts at uh, day four hundred and seventy four. Or at least once the main part of the movie kicks in, it's day 474. So you definitely see how this is, you know, brought down uh, Killian Murphy and, you know, his character named Emmett, who, uh, you know, as I said, has lost everything much more than, you know, Emily Blunt and and the Abbott family. But so, like I said, that's going to add a lot more to the performances as far as the effects, just as good as the first, um, just as you know, just as realistic looking, obviously it's CG. You're not going to get a whole lot of practical effects in here, if any. But again, you know, we're getting the same quality that we got the last time. And there's one thing that I really wanted to bring to the table that I didn't actually notice about the first movie until I watched the second one. And that's the fact that the Death Angels are never really a focus of any scene in this film. You know what I mean? Like with most alien invasion films, you're going to get that big scene of like the aliens marauding through a city and just killing nameless people. We don't get that in either of these films. What we get are in the scenes of chaos, the camera is focusing on a human protagonist. So it's always like John Krasinski's character, uh, you know, him and his daughter it, during the day one scene, or later on it'll be Emmett or, or um, Reagan. But the point is, is that during all the big action-packed scenes, the Death Angels are never the focus. Yes, they're in the shots. Yes, you have to show them, but they're never really the focus of the scene. It's always the human protagonist that is. So I, I genuinely appreciated that. And after going back and watching the first one, I realized that they did that with the first one, too. Now, it's a lot easier with the first one, considering, you know, it's just a family of five that we're following. Very few other human interactions in the film. It's a little bit harder to do with this one, but I thought they still did a really great job. So, Again, performances, um, again, sound design, amazing. Like, I even have to bring that to the table. Um, a much more 
uh, frantic score in this one. Obviously, with the uh, first movie focusing on just the family and how they're surviving, not so much traveling and whatnot. Um, the soundtrack in this one is a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more rocking, if you will. Um, let's see, what else can we bring? Um, like I said, there's some nitpicky stuff that I have um, that's going to make this film not an absolute perfect one for me the way I kind of thought A Quiet Place Part 1 was after seeing it the first time. I mean, I walked out of the theater thinking this was damn near a flawless film. I just absolutely adored it. And it still ended up being my number two of 2018, my second favorite horror film of the year. So, um, again, Quiet Place 2 does everything that the first one did, tries to add a little bit more. At times, the pacing might be a little frantic. At times, the storytelling might be a little odd because, you know, the focus is solidly on the Abbots in part one. I've already mentioned that. But in the second one, uh, the story, the main story kind of splits into two factions. And I think that's where it kind of loses its heart. Um, you know, the, the focus has always been the Abbots. But now since we have multiple Abbott groups kind of going in separate directions, now they're kind of splitting you know, the the focus of the film and everything else. So you're kind of bouncing back and forth between two series of events. In certain scenes, they do it really well. In certain scenes, they don't quite pull it off. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more in the spoiler section. But yeah, um, obviously, I'm going to need to cut myself off here because I could talk for a, probably a solid hour on just my general thoughts on this film. But yeah, um, this film is damn near a perfect sequel. I'm not going to say perfect film because I do have some problems with it. But I mean, as far as a sequel, as far as a follow up to A Quiet Place, um, Krasinski absolutely nails it. And with the first movie, he co-wrote A Quiet Place. But with this movie, he actually wrote it completely. The only reason that Scott Beck and Brian Woods are getting writing credits is because they do reference certain things from the first movie. And it, to the point where there's actually a scene or two from the first movie in this one. So um, they have to get a writing credit. But yeah, this is um, A Quiet Place Part 2 is all John Krasinski. This is his baby. And to actually see this you know, goofy comedian that I used to laugh at on a weekly basis now pretty much terrifying me on a regular basis. Um, that's pretty epic. So yeah, uh, the big, big recommend for me for A Quiet Place Part 2. Uh, Don, you are up next. Thoughts on Quiet Place 2? Okay. Um, well, unfortunately, I'm not as high on it as Venom, um, either film. Um, I do have some issues with the first one, and I have kind of the same issues with the second one. Um, he, Venom is right. There is a lot to like with this one. I do like the continuation of the story. I do like continuing where the family leaves off, and you know, now that there's actually some way to deal with them, they're going to now try to take the advantage and try to you know survive in the new world. I like that aspect of it. I like the few characters that we're introduced to. They're, as Venom said, they're really fun to be around. But he does have one issue right with the pacing to this, but it's only because the film starts off so frantically that it's inevitable it dips off really suddenly. And for me, that's one of the big things with the first half of this is that after the initial attack and the, you know, the, you know we'll get into it later, but their arrival at the secondary camp, the film just really 
really bogs down, and I really have a hard time trying to keep myself invested in the se- in the in like going into the second act with this. Now, the third third act is probably where I have the biggest issue with this because that's it really plays into a lot of what I had an issue with with the first film, which I'm not going to say now because we're, we're still on general thoughts, but. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, for the most part, it's fun. I want to love it, but I'm not quite there. I still really like it, much like I did the first one. I'm still not completely sure which one I like more. Um, Recency bias is probably favoring this one, just because the few issues I have with with Part 2 aren't nearly as bad as what I had with Part 1. But overall, yeah, it's a... Very, very solid sequel. Like, I'm not, you know, blowing it up as a classic, but I'm really, really enjoying it. Like I said, want to love it, just not quite. Okay. So, um, as far as I go, I think A Quiet Place 2 was a solid follow-up to A Quiet Place. I don't think it quite hits the heights of the first one, which I think, well, obviously Dawn was saying that, and I think Venom was kind of hinting at that, too. Um... I think that, uh, yeah, the, the cold opening in this one is fantastic. That might be, like, my favorite part of the film. And I think it's very effective because we bring into this movie the knowledge of, you know, everything that happened in the first one. So as the cold opening is kind of playing out, we can kind of, we know what's coming once, you know, some stuff starts happening, which I get into spoilers. Um so that was great. Uh, I think there's a lot more downtime in this movie just because of the fact that uh, the characters, I, I, I guess I would say it doesn't feel like they're in the same constant danger the whole time. But I think that's maybe because of the story, the way it's written. Um, and I, I think that what was I uh, or something I wasn't expecting is I felt this one was very much written purposely to be a, like a middle of a trilogy movie whereas oh, I'm, I'm definitely seeing part three after this one yeah I could, yeah i mean the way the first one ended it could go either way it could just be kind of, the the first one ended to where yes there could be a sequel but it didn't necessarily guarantee it this one definitely more felt like written like this is the next chapter of an ongoing story um, just because of how abrupt it was and kind of where our characters are kind of left off at the conclusion of this story. Um, so I think, you know, that's some people I think will be fine with that. Some people might be like, eh. um, I, I like some of the character progression, but I also feel like that I guess specifically one character it's, it, it, it seemed like it was kind of sloppily, the way there was like almost like a forced mistake or forced dumb move that this character made that, you know, led to the next scene of um, one of the monsters, like, you know, almost getting to that person. Um, Got to dance around it till spoilers. But basically, cause like, I feel like, you know, this far into this, cause we're at what, like day 500 or, 474 yep. 474 by this time you should be pretty sure about like what you can and can't do what would be completely stupid to do but 
there's a moment in a film where it's just like, are you seriously doing this right now? Like, and why are you even doing it? But, um, other than that, you know, I still enjoyed it. I, I had a fun time in the theater. I thought it was effective where it needed to be. And yeah, I, I think it was a solid follow-up. You know, it's, it's, it's harder for sequels to hit the heights of the original a lot of times. So I'm not going to definitely fault it for that necessarily, but I'll just say I still thought it was good. Just not as great as the first one, but I'm def after seeing it, I am definitely looking forward to a part three. If it happens. Yeah. The difficulty with a sequel, especially to something as massively successful as a quiet place is to get, to give us that feeling of being reintroduced to a universe. Um, you know, when you watch a film for the first time, you're being introduced to that universe. You're kind of establishing your rules, everything else. So when you actually make your second journey into that world, you're already, you know, kind of averse at what's going on. You already know, you know, um, you got to be quiet, blah, blah, blah. You already know the rules, basically. Um, and, and you just don't get that feeling like watching the, the first one in the theater for the first time. I had a very like giddy feeling like throughout the entire film, you know, ear to ear grin, basically. Whereas in this one, I felt and I mentioned it earlier in my general thoughts that the second act kind of felt like a lot of, you know, been there, done that part of the first act going into the second act was just a lot of, you know, been there, done that. Okay, here they are hiding in their hiding place. They're being quiet. They're trying to avoid, you know, the death angels, blah, blah, blah. Um, it wasn't until, you know, one of the abbots came up with a, you know, kind of odd plan, um, which ended up splitting the kind of, you know, the, the solid group into two little factions. And well, obviously we'll get more into that in the second half of the show. But, you know that's where it kind of loses to me. It's it, the heart of what makes a quiet place, a quiet place, at least as a franchise. Um, obviously they had to broaden the scope of the movie. There's no choice. They're, they're probably not going to give us another whole movie like the first one, but what, with a different family or whatever, because then it's a whole movie. have been there, done that. And nobody wants to you know, deal with that. So, and I've always said, I appreciate filmmakers um, trying new things and trying different things. And it's nice to see Krasinski, trying different things in the second part instead of waiting for, you know, chapter seven, eight or nine, like some franchises do. Um, but sometimes it just doesn't, you know, and this is after only a couple of watches for me. Um, it, it, you know, it just doesn't always have that emotional heart of the first one. The first one felt like so, it felt so much like a family drama that just happened to be based in a post-apocalyptic, you know, alien invasion world, you know, this one definitely feels it still has that core, but because of all the adventures outside of this of their little safe area, it feels like more. You know what I mean? They're they're trying to broaden the scope, and more can be good, and sometimes it isn't good. So it's 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 a matter of the opinion of the individual viewer on this one. Um, if they like to see the broadened scope of this universe or if they would have just liked to have seen another isolated story within this universe. You know, I can kind of see both arguments to the story. Um, 
But yeah, like I said, just recreating that feeling, that giddiness of watching the first one. It's always hard for a part two of any franchise, you know, um, unless you do something like a Friday the 13th where you completely change up, you know, who the killer is and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that that's a story for another show. So um, I appreciate what Krasinski did, whether I liked it or didn't like it. I appreciated that he tried new things. But for the most part, I still say he hit a home run. I mean, this is still, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's not nearly as... Um, near perfect as a quiet place but it's still a damn good sequel i can't think of anything really that he could have done to make it any better i could think of maybe something he could have omitted which again i won't get into now because it's a major spoiler but um overall absolutely love this film maybe just a tick under um the original for me yeah something you were something you mentioned about how it's almost like a family drama that happens to have space creature predators uh-huh. in it. Um, I think one of the points that, you know, sometimes gets overlooked about the original and you could, uh, you could say it about like a movie like train to Busan too. There's that emotional impact with the climax of the movie that it hits a different chord than sometimes you're used to in horror movies Mm -hmm. and it's hard to replicate that. And I feel like they try to do that with an arc or with a character's arc in this movie. And I'm not going to say the arc itself wasn't good because it's usually, you know, it's your standard arc that you get a lot of times in these type of movies, but it, it, it just didn't hit the same way as the sacrifice at the end of the, of the original movie. Um, and maybe that was to set up, you know, for a character to return, you know, in the next installment. Maybe if they stick with like, you know, the same basic um, premise, because I've I've heard actually I've read kind of two things and we'll get into that in spoilers, I guess. Maybe we can end the show with that. But um, but yeah, it, 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 I get yeah. We'll just have to save our spoilers because it's like I, it's like I can only do so much dancing. Around yeah, it's so. true. It, it's a lot of dancing around with this one, definitely. <laughs> but I mean, ultimately, I mean, ultimately, the easiest thing to say is cliche as it sounds is if you love the first one, I'm pretty sure you're gonna love this one. There's no reason not to go check it out. Yeah, I think overall, there's plenty here to still like, really like, or even love. I mean, if I. I'll, I'll put it this way. If you were like a huge fan of the first one, I don't see how you wouldn't like this one, whether you like it as much, a little bit less, less, that's fine. I would understand that, but I don't, it's to me, this movie does enough of, um, of what you need to, to be enjoyable, you know? So I don't know. I'd be interested to hear from anyone that really liked the first one and didn't like this one, I, I would be interested to see what they what their criticisms were to you know just to understand that POV because I I have a hard time understanding it, but I'm sure there's people out there that didn't like this one, so we'll I guess I'll keep my ears peeled for that. Yeah. But anyways, that's it for my general thoughts. Yeah, I mean, huh, so much to talk about with this one. Um, you know. So we've talked about performances, score. I mean, talking about the story is going to be interesting because of the scope of the whole thing. Um, 
And and one of the things that really bothered me about this movie is uh, a trope that we kind of see in a lot of, if not all, horror slash apocalypse films, which I'm sure a lot of you already have a good idea of what I'm talking about. Uh, if you've seen the film, you definitely know what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's just another one of those post-apocalyptic tropes that, you know, doesn't always work with me. But I will say this movie handled it better than almost any other movie I've uh you know, post-apocalyptic film that I can think of off the top of my head. So, yeah, I, I guess if there's nothing else to say that, you know, in general, we should probably move on because I know we're all chomping at the bit to break this boy down. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks. So that's your final spoiler warning uh, for the rest of the episode. We will be breaking down spoilers. So, folks, let's talk about that cold open, huh? Day one. Uh, finally. Um <laughs> So I'll I'll say this and I'll just get the bad rolling. As a personal individual sequence, I like this scene better than anything in part one. Ooh. Hmm. I'm not saying it's miles better. I'm just saying this was, to me, better than anything I found in part one. I will say that this scene is definitely more exhilarating. I mean, it's an action-packed, you know, absolute just... Well, mind fuck of a time you know i mean just uh, the, the craziness of the situation the fact that these things yeah, are just falling out of the sky and you know obviously no one knows anything about them i mean that very well, the, the very first scene where we see them uh with the police officer you know the one that slams into the police car that actually got most of the people in the theater i mean there were audible gasps from a majority of the people because we were not expecting it to be that abrupt and that just bam here we are you know well, um, here's so, mm-hmm. well, here's the thing. The thing with me, the one thing that I really enjoy about it is that when it focuses on the daughter, there's a distinct drop off where it's almost like in like buzzing, like a like a silent buzzing, sure. and then it just split switches split second to when he's involved in the scene to where it's like the chaos of the situation around it, and right, right. that was. Yeah, that was the part that I enjoyed most because when it focuses on her, it's almost as if it's focusing on how she's hearing it rather than how it's how it's reacting to the world around her. To where even though there's all these explosions going off and you know people are screaming and being thrown all over the place, it's like almost completely dead silent when it's focusing on her. But yet, when as soon as he's involved in the scene, it feels like you're involved in it just as much just like he is to where you know it feels like it's bringing you into it more than anything else yeah that's the part of that's the part that i was really impressed with and that yeah yeah he definitely nails that immersion factor i mean you definitely feel immersed in this film um i mean he did it with the first one there's multiple scenes in the movie that are just you know, dark and quiet, and you're in the theater just staring at the screen, just you know something's coming, something's going to jump out at you any second, and when it finally does, it still gets you. Um, I, but, I mean, that's, I, that's part of that immersion, that, that especially with the audio. I mean, I was going to bring that up too, Don, thank you, because that, that is an absolute key to, I feel, both movies. The fact that, the, you know, that the kids of this family are deaf, both the boy and the girl, um, so I, I think it's definitely key to kind of get their aspect too and their immersion level. Um, yeah, it's a great addition to the films. Mike. Uh, uh, the other thing I was going to say about the cold opening, the two elements I like is 
one, it it kind of helps explain away almost the question I had in the first one because um, a lot of a lot of the time when I was watching the first one, I was like, well, how could these like these things spread? across the world i guess pretty damn quick like how did this happen you know before they yeah, could fi- like before the military yeah. or any type of intelligence could figure out any flaws in it or a- have any type of plan to counter it so when we get this cold opening and we see that they're pretty much falling out of the sky everywhere i mean because this is a small town in the middle of nowhere pretty much i mm-hmm. think and they're seeing because the, you already i think i believe in the shop there was already reports of it happening elsewhere before it happened in Uh, their town. So the cold opening kind of helps explain why these creatures were able to take over so quick because it was happening everywhere. It wasn't so much that it it was one place and it spread. It was, no, they were falling out of the sky randomly just everywhere. So I thought that element helped too. I like that we get a little bit more information about it, but there's, still not too much to over explain and there's still kind of a mystery because um we still don't really know what these things like other than the fact that they landed here and they're tough motherfuckers to like take out uh-huh. like they're not eating people when they kill them they're not like like it's like they're just savage and murdering and then they just kind of go bomb uh, you know go back to their whatever the hell they're doing so it's like you you know you kind of get a little more info but there's still not too much there's still a mystery at the same time you know they're not uh, they're not all of a sudden communicating and talking and being like hey right. this is why we're here so <laughs> i i like the uh, fact that we get little clues but not a hundred percent explanation still sure um they're uh, there actually is a 100% explanation available directly from John Krasinski's mouth that I can share. If I don't know how spoilery this might be for the entire universe. I don't know if this is something that'll be maybe in the trilogy, but uh, uh, Krasinski has already completely explained uh, the Death Angels, how they got here, what happened to their planet, blah, 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 blah. I can explain it if you want to hear it. <laughs> I just don't know how many listeners might want to hear it since it could be... We've already given us. We've already given a spoiler warning. Oh yeah, that's um, true. That's valid. Um, yeah. Okay, plus, it, so, plus, if he's already put the information out there, then it's it's. Yeah. Out, I mean, you know, it's not a secret. So yeah, I I, I want to know. So go ahead. Uh-huh. Um, well, he he wasn't speaking with a horror magazine or any kind of publication like that, which is probably why a lot of us haven't caught this information. But in an interview with Empire Magazine. John Krasinski actually explains a lot more about the Death Angels. The Death Angels come from a planet that is completely dark. There is no sunlight. No sunlight reaches the planet. So, A, completely dark planet. B, uh, the entire planet is only uh, the Death Angels. There's no other creatures of any kind on that planet. Um, So... That might also explain, Mike, to Mike, why they're not eating people. Uh, Death Angels don't eat. They don't need to eat. They don't have any kind of nourishment. They are basically almost like a, uh, what's that, what are those things? The water bears, uh, the things that can live through vacuums of space and, you know, everything else. And they're basically immortal. Um, Death angels, basically, um, their armor is so strong that when they close it up, they can survive in the vacuum of space. So, anyway, what happened to their planet was Krasinski said that because of the planet just being 
just covered and overrun with these death angels that basically um, the sheer weight and and um, just uh, not literal weight, but like I can't remember the exact wording that he used, but basically the planet failed. The planet basically started to break down and that eventually their planet um, by the way, which is where the franchise gets its title, if anybody's interested in what A Quiet Place af- actually references, that is uh, the name that Krasinski has given to the home world of uh, the Death Angels. And basically what happened is because of just, you know, the Death Angels just, com- you know, breeding and everything else and just being, you know, just basically taking over the surface of the planet, the planet failed and eventually exploded or imploded, I think he said in his explanation, uh, the Death Angels survived by clinging to chunks of the planet that basically turned into meteorites as they traveled through space. And that's what we're seeing fall to the ground at the, uh, uh, during the cold open of this film. It's not a spaceship of any kind. Yeah, that They're makes early. more sense because those things are not capable of building spaceships. I don't care what their design it, is. That is not... Exactly. That's, that's, not yeah. that's not a spaceship quality form. See, yep. my my guess, based on the cold opening, what I was thinking was something along those lines, not the whole home planet thing, but what I was thinking is like, okay, maybe just out there there's asteroids or meteorites that have like space parasites that live on them. And, you know, you hear all the time just random science articles that's like, oh, this asteroid flew by Earth and narrowly missed our gravitational pull. So I was like, okay, maybe the, the uh, mythology is just that, hey, there's a bunch of, like, an asteroid field that didn't escape our gravitational pull. And, oops, they happen to have these space monster parasite things <laughs> yeah. on them. So I was thinking, uh, when they showed that shot up in the sky of the individual pieces falling, mm-hmm. uh, for some reason I was thinking that it was a ship that potentially... Um, it was a ship that was basically escaping a, a failing planet, a planet that was exploding or imploding, whatever, and that the ship just finally, you know, died right in our atmosphere and just exploded or something. Maybe, and that uh, it was basically chunks of the ship falling and just raining death angels onto the surface <laughs> of the planet. But I, I like Krasinski's explanation better. Maybe that's what <laughs> maybe that's what the engineers were shooting out of their gun when they wanted to destroy Earth. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there you go. From John Krasinski's mouth and himself, a little bit of an explanation on the Death Angels, how they got here, how they survived in space, why they don't eat anyone because they do not eat in general. Uh, they, they, I guess their physiology isn't made that way. Um, he ca- he he kind of explained them like insects, where um, they basically have a limited timeline, but the. As far as their life cycle, it's just that the life cycle is really, really long. It's like mm-hmm. hundreds of years in human time. Um, but basically, they, you know, uh, he, he doesn't get into anything about how they're created, how they're bred. Are there males, females? He doesn't really get into any of that. But he basically just said because of overpopulation, the planet, you know, basically failed, blah, blah, blah. Sending them hurling into space, and uh, I guess a majority of them, uh, since this planet technically was an undiscovered planet in our solar system, that's why they rained down on us when their planet exploded. Apparently, it was like in a dark part of our universe that you know sunlight doesn't touch. Blah blah blah. So yeah, Death Angels one hundred (laughs) one. Interesting. Uh, Maybe we'll get Death Angels one hundred two in you know uh, Quiet Place Part Three. Who knows? 
It sounds like that'd be expensive, though. And uh, for whatever it's worth, I mean, these films don't look ultra expensive, honestly. I mean, yeah, we get the cool looking Death Mm. Angels, but. Um, No, I I gotta (laughs) say, uh, this one was around 60 million. Wow. See, I I wouldn't have even guessed that much. Well, I knew that because it was like, I I saw it on the trivia when I was finishing up the movie, just looking it up the thing, and it said that this was triple the budget of the original. Yeah, that makes sense. I knew the original was like 15 or 20, but yeah, 16. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I I, got to remember the original one, the the actual number, because they Uh gave it, but yeah, they said it's just around 60. Jesus. And yeah, sure most of that goes to acting and effects. <laughs> I can't imagine getting all these big name actors was cheap. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if, like in the third one, they would do like a cold opening or something explaining why. I mean, I guess maybe it's a speed at which they were hurling, like the pieces and the debris were hurling towards Earth. Like why NASA wouldn't have picked up on anything, but yeah. maybe, well, like, maybe if, it was just fast, too fast. If he's calling them like at, if he's saying that they're turning into asteroids from the explosion, then we probably would have just automatically assumed, ah, it's just a normal everyday asteroid, no big deal. Or a meteor shower or something, yeah. Yeah. So I'm saying... I mean, obviously, it's, once it's, they hit the atmosphere and we look up in the sky and see what we were looking at, yeah, at that point, it's too late to be worried about it, we're fucked. <laughs> what I'm saying is that if he's claiming the idea that, you know, the planet would have imploded and shot everything out into the galaxy... Mm-hmm. Then it would have just automatically, you know, turned into like a, you know, it would have reached its terminal velocity and it would have just looked like a normal meteor. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> Don bringing the science. Well, yeah. I mean, it just depends because, I mean, you know, with technology, they, they can usually detect size and scope. So maybe they saw it and they're like, oh, it'll burn up in the atmosphere yep. before it does any damage or something. Exactly. Now, uh, going back to the point that I made earlier about how the Death Angels are almost never the focus, um, thinking specifically right now about the cold open, think about the cold open. Think about the fact that at no point during the cold open was the camera ever actually following a Death Angel. We were always following people. First, we were following Lee and Reagan, uh, and that's when that first cop got attacked. They went and hid in the diner. Like, the camera never loses focus of Lee and um, Reagan during this scene, John Krasinski and Millicent Simmons. Um, And and I absolutely love that. You still see the Death Angels running in the background. You still see them taking people down. Even when they're in the diner and they're looking out the front window, you can still see, you know, Death Angels kind of walking by until, obviously, the inevitable one that hears them inside and crashes in. But, I mean... I, th- that's a that's a bit of filmmaking that I never really thought about, but like I, I can't think of any other disaster movie or big sci-fi horror film that does that, that concentrates on the characters and never concentrates on the antagonists. I, I just I think that's something that a lot of us don't notice while we're watching it and are underappreciating it. Like, I, I couldn't get over how good he does that. Yeah, well, I mean, it almost feels like, you know, like a first-person video game where yes. you're seeing it through the eyes of the character with all the frantic chaos going around him, and you're, you're kind of – your eyes are kind of chasing the stream because so much stuff is going around, and you're almost in the place of a character. I'm thinking of, like, you know, when she's uh, – when Emily Blunt, the mom, gets the – 
kid in the car. And that, that was my next point. The, yep. Yeah, the bus chase. Or ah, that's what I mean. Again, that entire yeah. scene, the camera never leaves the inside of the car. It would have been very easy to have a couple of shots from the street, like showing the bus drive by with a couple of the death angels on top, or maybe people screaming and jumping out of the bus or whatever. But no, the camera never leaves that first person view inside the car. That's fucking filmmaking right there, and mm. and the way that ends, oh my god, I love that. They always in the in the trailer. I finally watched the trailer after I saw the movie, but I like how they cut that scene off right before you know the bus crashes. I thought that was cool. Yeah, in the movie, it's really effective because it's the long tracking shot. Exactly. Uh, they 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 don't cut to different angles of the car getting out of the way. You're just seeing the bus continue to like roll up and get closer and. Uh, that, that's effective. just yeah very good filmmaking right there you know it, it gives you that found footage feel that found footage immersion but without it being found footage you know which i know pisses a lot of people off a lot of people hate found footage so yeah honestly saying that i wouldn't mind him if he did a found footage entry in the universe um actually yeah like a cloverfield type uh, i would be very down <laughs> i'd be interesting but, I mean, this is a franchise that, you know, could go a lot of different places. Um, it could also, you know, we might just get part three and that'll be it. It'll just be a trilogy and that's cool. But, yeah, this is a this is a franchise that, you know, we they could make like a Japanese chapter with the Death Angels landing out there. You could make an Indonesian one where, you know, again, Death Angels landing in Indonesia and maybe how do the locals kind of look at that as opposed to how the Japanese look at it or the Swedish or whatever. So, I mean, there's a lot of potential movies to be had here. And obviously a lot of them are going to be a lot of been there, done that, you know, with people being quiet. But I think there's some interesting stories to tell out there, you know, if, you know, in a world where this is happening. Yeah. When you create the world, I mean, the scope of it's big enough to where you could, um, continue the story of the Abbots or just go elsewhere, which I guess I'll just bring that up now. Cause I think it was uh -huh. Krasinski. They interviewed, um, talking about like the third installment. And, um, I believe he, he was saying, yeah, there's probably the next one will be a continuation, but there's also a chance that they would do like a spinoff first and then come back to it. Just depending on, you know how, how he feels like writing it but it sounds like he's he's thinking along the lines of what you were just saying to where because the scope of the you know it, it's covering the entire planet so you could literally do stories elsewhere um almost like zombie you know zombie movies like you, if if the zombie plague is taking over the world then you could go to any individual that's dealing with it definitely um, but yeah, speaking of uh, the franchise, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about the basic storyline here. I mean, obviously, uh, the first movie, you know, we spend the entirety of the film with the Abbots and the movie ends with, you know, Reagan and um, what uh, Evelyn, Evelyn Abbott, Emily Blunt's character, um, kind of figuring out how to finally defeat the uh the death angels and this story this movie kind of picks up literally right at the end of that you know once we do the cold open on day one the movie then picks up at that exact same spot where with emily blunt cocking the shotgun at the end of the first one uh and then we go into day 474 which is the majority of the film from there 
But um, the fact that now, you know, we still have this group of people, this small group of people who know how to defeat these death angels, but still apparently um, the majority of the people, at least in the general area, don't seem to know. So a lot of this movie is basically trying to get that information out there. You know, we've, we get Reagan discovering that there's a radio station off the coast of uh, Long Island. Um, and, and then this is where we get the split here. And, and that's kind of where I want to bring you guys in again. Like, what did you think of the of the splitting of the factions? You know, because like I said, I really like the first one. I think I like the first one slightly more because they stick with that centralized unit. Uh, what do you think of the decision of them kind of splitting it off and giving us two stories this time? I'll let you go first on this one, Mike. I've got things to say. <laughs> um, I I don't mind the split so much. I, I think a lot of it's going to come down to uh, the viewer's interest in Killian Murphy as a character because he's part of the split. Um, you know, when they kind of go off on their side quest, I guess you would call it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That, that, to me, is where you see them trying to make the obvious attempt. You know, he's going to kind of be the father figure of the movie filling in for Krasinski. Um, because Krasinski dying at the end of the first one definitely left a void going into this one. I mean, it's not like we all knew he was dead. It wasn't a surprise. So we were bringing that already with us into this film. But it definitely felt like once they kind of settled in with Slee and Murphy and how obviously he was going to have the arc of like, no, I'm not helping. I'm, I want to be the loner. You guys get out to like a couple scenes later. Okay. I'm going to go get her and all that stuff. Um, so I don't mind the split because I think the daughter herself doing what she did, that was within her character arc already set up by the first one, kind of like the stubborn that, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold back from doing things that I think are necessary. Kind of like that, mm-hmm. you know, she was supposed to have kind of like the DNA of her dad, uh, basically figuratively. Cause obviously literally she does, but figuratively she, she's carrying on kind of that, uh, character type where, you know, I'm going to lead and come up with solutions. So that's fine. Um, there was, you know, there's a couple uh, I guess you would say convenient tropes along the way, mm-hmm. like when like when he shows up just at the right time when she's about to get killed on the little what was it a abandoned train. train car was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I um, mean, you know, those kind of tropes, like you know, the hero showing up at the exact last second to save a character. I mean, we we've been seeing that since the beginning of films. So, I mean, even I I remember with those old Batman black and white serials from like the 1920s and 30s, they they pulled that kind of shit where literally (laughs) Batman will show up at the last second right before, you know, a boulder is about to fall on Robin or whatever. So it's a trope that I'm used to. The trope that I'm not used to, or should I say the trope that I'm not the biggest fan of? is the whole, um, and we get it, this is what I was talking about in the spoiler-free section, folks, um, with the trope of uh, in zombie films and post-apocalyptic films of humans are more dangerous than the, the zombies, or in this case, the death angels. So, of course, 
as uh, Reagan and Emmett are looking for their radio station off Long Island Sound, they do eventually run across a gang of, you know, humans, a little settlement right on the shore of Long Island Sound, basically as they're trying to steal a boat to try to get to the radio station that's on a small island off the shore. They run into this group, and of course, they're all dirty and grubby, and, you know, they look like hillbillies that, you know, never washed before the aliens arrived. And during the whole scene, I'm just like, oh, God damn it, here we go. And I know this is a weird one. This is a trope that I know a lot of horror fans maybe aren't sick of. And I'm not even saying that it's not true, that if in a real post-apocalyptic situation that people... You know, that we there there would be huge pockets of people that we would need to avoid, you know, greedy folks and people who think they're powerful than, you know, the rest and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I understand it's something that's legitimate and out of reality, but it's just one of those things that I'm just sick of seeing in my post-apocalyptic zombie movies, things like that. But I also mentioned uh, that this movie handled it better than a lot of others, and they really did in the sense that, A... The scene doesn't last very long. I mean, how long was that scene? Five to ten minutes at the most? Maybe five minutes? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then B, uh, the uh, the quote-unquote bad humans basically get their comeuppance right away. So yeah. it's not the kind of thing where, like, um, Emmett and Reagan were, like, taken and taken to a compound and held hostage and they had to be rescued. Like, that's what I was thinking was coming. And that's why I started to cringe. But basically, it was just a quick five-minute scene of them getting trapped. Basically, one of the little girls in the group gets Emmett strapped to a noise uh, trap and he can't get out of it without risk of making noise and attracting a death angel, blah, blah, blah. Um, so like I said, the fact that they actually take care of the situation really quick and then finally get to the island, at least I can appreciate that. They, they didn't make me wallow in a, in a scene that, you know, I knew I was going to hate. <laughs> yeah, but still, it just comes off as cringy when you've got a, this five minute scene that comes out of nowhere, doesn't get explained why these people are still alive nearly 500 days into an apocalypse that took out all of humanity. Mm-hmm. And then it just discards them with no real rhyme or reason. Like, it's just a big action scene for the creatures to see how badass they are taking them out in just, like, what, 20 seconds? Absolutely. Oh, it's a guilty yeah. pleasure scene. Uh, absolutely. I, I will happily dub this a guilty pleasure scene. Because, like yeah. I said, as soon as these people show up and establish that they're the shitty humans that nobody should care about, it, literally within minutes, they're all dispatched by Death Angels and our two protagonists are able to get out. So that's what I mean that Krasinski handled it better than most. You yeah, know what I it's, mean? It's still, a, it's still the inclusion of it. No, absolutely. And that's, yeah. that's why I cringed as soon as it started to happen. It's like, oh, God, here we go. But, you know, when my pain only lasted about five minutes, I was happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, figured, I figured at some point... They were going to run into some unsavory characters because usually, you know, there will be bits and pieces of dialogue that foreshadow stuff. And when Killian Murphy's character was like, the people that are left, they ain't worth saving. Or I think that's what he says, right? Yeah, that was the foreshadowing line. Uh. And yeah, and really up to that up to that point, when they get to the dock, they really hadn't run into anybody else. So I was like, OK, maybe it was just like a throwaway general line, just yeah. saying that in general. And then, of course, they get to the dock and. Um, the, the whole time, 
what's funny to me, or not funny, but I kind of question his willingness because, like, they get to the dock and that girl's like at the end of the dock. Mm-hmm. Now, even me just watching it, I'm I'm thinking, okay, given all the things we know about this world and how he barely even wanted to help the Abbots, and that's a family he knows, yeah. I was thinking maybe like. Hmm, like, uh, he seemed pretty willing to go up to and try to help, but maybe, you know, he'd been softened up a little. Yeah. Or maybe it was curiosity, like, what the hell is this person doing? Because, like, I, if I was him, I would have a hard time believing that there's just some random girl chilling. At the, like, I would be a little suspicious. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, what the hell? This doesn't seem right. And then I'm just going to, like, hang back a little bit and see and that doesn't necessarily mean he wouldn't still end up trapped in the bottle trap anyway but Mm -hmm. it seemed like he was pretty willing to like investigate on his own but yeah yeah. minor (laughs) nitpick i guess i mean no it's a valid nitpick though ultimately i mean decision making in a movie like this in a a world where these people have lived in it for what a a year and a quarter already so it's like no you should know the rules and he's the one guy out of everyone in the movie up to that point that should know better because he's the one telling everybody else uh watch out for the people that are still alive yeah exactly i mean he's lost his family he's already you know lost everything that he can lose and then in the process found himself a fairly foolproof hiding place so yeah and i'm assuming i'm assuming because he made that comment that he might have had tussles or run into some not the dock people but just unsavory people in general for him to even mention that yeah, no, definitely, definitely. All right, and so from there, you know, we go to, uh, we, we get to an island, and, and this is where the movie takes a nasty tone, no, I shouldn't say nasty, let me take that back. Um, it takes a very drastic tonal change, because um, basically Emmett and Reagan do get to this island that they're looking for. Um, they're Initially, they're looking for a radio station. Uh, they know that there's a radio station playing, uh, what is it, Beyond the Sea, uh, mm-hmm. you know, over the air. Uh, Reagan figures out that it's actually code, that it's not just, ran- uh, you know, somebody randomly <sighs> playing. <sighs> yeah, I, you know, I kind of no, cringed a little bit on that, too. <laughs> no, no, not that. Not for another reason. Not because oh, of the okay. song. Why in the ever-loving fuck can people ever just say, get to the island, they can't? can't swim get to the island they can't swim why the hell are they supposed to bring out these fucking codes that these indecipherable messages that they're supposed to be able to communicate stealthily against creatures that can't tell what's going on they can hear for sure but they can't decipher the actual words why the hell do they have to do the inconspicuous cognito message that for some reason nobody is able to just come out and say get to the island they can't swim yeah, I was when when uh, when Reagan said that that she that she figured out that it was actually a code. I was really I I, I laughed a little bit in my head, but I was I was almost a hundred percent convinced that she was going to be wrong, but that something else cool was happening at that radio station. Like she was going to get there saying, "Oh, we heard your code," and then they would be like, "What? There was no code. What are you talking about? It's just a song that we like." But while you're here. We can do this, this, and this, you know. But then when the when uh, 
oh, what the hell is it? The character doesn't actually have a name. His character name is Man on Island, but he's played by <laughs> Shaman uh, Hanzo, or Hanzu, however you pronounce his name. Uh, he's one of those guys that you recognize right away when you yeah. see him. You don't know him by name, but you recognize him. Anyway, as soon as he confirmed that Reagan was right, that's when I rolled my eyes. That's when my eyes almost rolled out of my head. Like, really? That was your fucking plan? <laughs> Yep, and he doesn't last too long either. <laughs> oh, and that's it. Oh, yeah. I, what's funny is that I actually did see a couple of uh, black horror fans on Twitter this weekend kind of get really mad about that because, they, I mean, they brought in a name actor to play this role that seemed like it was going to turn into an important role because he, he kind of came off as almost like the leader of the people there on that on that island. Uh, but then he's dead in like five minutes. <laughs> see, see, I actually, so leading up to this, um, we already get his character, Man on Island, I guess. Yep. <laughs> he already, he already agrees to, okay, we'll, we'll make sure to get um, the rest of your family. Um, when they discover the, the creature on the boat and then, you know, the creature gets on land and chases, this is where I think thought that what was going to happen was Killian Murphy's character was going to have to do the sacrifice that the dad did in the first one. And he was oh, yeah. going to die. And then maybe they're setting up man on Island to be like <laughs> the patriarch, you know, patriarchal character for the third one, if they go that route, but they didn't do that. They just nope. said, Hey man on Island, thanks for telling us about your Island. Uh, you can can, uh, take an exit (laughs) thanks for taking us to the radio station and giving us the key bye now (laughs) i mean that was (laughs) literally how they treated him so i I guess i could see how some you know black horror fans maybe took offense to it and started because i actually saw one who actually was like oh great we're back to that killing the black guy in the movie right away trope yay Obviously, I hope that's not where we're headed, but it's a decision that Krasinski made, one reason or another. Well, yeah, but I'm saying, but you still have his kids left in the closet because they're still alive, so you can bring them back. I wasn't even thinking about the kids. Damn it! (laughs) So, no, now I feel bad. (laughs) So, someone explained that because I had a question about that but maybe because it was only a quick shot and i didn't have much time to like and since i only saw the movie one time i didn't you know get a chance to really examine the scene but the creature on the boat was that the boat they came on or was that just another no, random boat remember on the dock when the, the two creatures jumped yeah. there was the one that fell off and he's clawing at the boat and drowns and you see the other one on top of the boat uh-huh. that's the one that that's the one that attacked the island it came in on the tide it's got the same name. That's, yeah, uh, when, it's when the, the same first, boat. Yeah, when the first Death Angel fell off the boat, the yeah. name of the boat is framed on screen very obviously for you to read. Okay. And then later on, when Killian on the island actually finds that boat abandoned, they show the name of the boat again. I, I forget, Star or something. Yeah. I forget the name but exactly. That's why, he's running, that's why he's running back trying to alert everybody, because yeah, he exactly. saw it. And he may have inadvertently started the massacre on the island by running and yeah. yelling at everybody. Run yeah, that's, why he, that's why he's running back because he found the boat. Yeah, he recognized okay. Yeah, that's. Oh, yeah, okay, because the boat was untied and then the, yep. the current just pushed it out. And okay. Yeah. 
Right. Because yeah, yeah, because I was like, because I knew for sure that wasn't the boat they came on. So I was like, what, what boat? But that makes sense. I, I just, I for some reason it just slipped my. It's one of those things you'll miss time. if you're not, you know, paying attention. It's a quick shot. It's not like you yeah. know, it, you know, nothing wrong with missing it. Uh, they they try to make it obvious, but you know, especially because the first scene happens at night and the second scene is during the day, so. You know, you may not know that you're supposed to be looking at the name of that boat in the first scene. So it's not especially, a big... Yeah, cause especially because it's all about the revelation of, you know, they're doing the science thing again. They're afraid of water or they can't swim. They can't swim. Yeah. yeah, what, yeah what bothers me, though, is like, OK, they can't swim. But what's stopping them from just walking on the uh, the bottom of the water? I mean, it's Long Island Sound. It's not that deep. And it was only a couple of miles to the island. Like, I'm wondering, why don't they just walk? And they're, and the they're definitely, they're definitely of the dead, did it? They're definitely not afraid of water because in the first one, no, the they're creature not walked in the flooded basement, so exactly. they'll and get in even water. Even in this one, uh, yeah, when the one breaks the pipe, okay, water's well, uh, splashing on it the whole that's time. That's what I was saying because that was what I was gonna say because I, that's what I was thinking like maybe they're afraid of water because of that scene when they're when she's confronting it inside the pipe, the thing right. like that. But yeah. The only thing I can, th- I guess the explanation I came up with is once they get in water, if their feet aren't touching the ground, they freak out and, oh, yeah. you know, get frantic and they, end up in, they drown, you know, water gets in their breathing system. Because, like I said, we still don't know 100% yeah. everything about them. So there is that kind of mystery aspect. And, I mean, I guess them not being able to handle the water is one of them. Yeah. They're definitely not built for swimming. That body is not made for swimming in any way. <laughs> they have hooks for hands. They don't even have, like, true hands. So, yeah, no good, no good. <laughs> but, yeah, um, and then, of course, once we, get to the radio, once we get to the island, we realize that's where the radio station is, and uh, Reagan decides to um, basically, basically do the same trick with her hearing aid and a speaker that they did in the first movie at the end of the first movie. They just try to do it now at an actual radio station, hoping. I mean, obviously, they have to hope that someone is uh, listening to that station on a regular basis when it goes to the high-pitched feedback. Um, it, it's just funny because they basically uh, we're basically going to go right to the end of the movie with this one. Basically, we get to the radio station. We have this big action sequence, you know, where our characters are getting chased all through the station. And eventually, um, Reagan is able to take her hearing aid and put it right up on the DJ's mic and then basically crank up the output signal so that it creates that feedback. And then she turns on the monitor inside the radio station so that it basically affects uh, the death angel in the station with them. And basically, our movie ends with Reagan bludgeoning one of them to death uh, rather than shooting it, because apparently there's no gun at their disposal in this scene. She ends up bludgeoning it, and at the same time, while they're at the radio station, Emily Blunt and the two boys, the baby and the older male child, are still at Killian Anderson or Killian Murphy's uh, what you call it hideout and bunker. bunker. Yeah, that's a better word for it. And they're dealing with um, a couple of death angels that broke in, who were able to figure out a way into that bunker. Um, and basically, because of the communication earlier in the movie between um, brother and sister, um, obviously, uh, Reagan told her brother what she was going to do. 
um, hoping that the brother would rat on her. He basically said flat out, I'm going to tell mom no matter what. And he does exactly that. Uh, you know, uh, Reagan leaves the next morning and she tells mom, uh, or excuse me, uh, the son, oh, what's the son's name? God damn it. Marcus. Marcus tells his mom what Reagan is doing. And that's when she sends Killian, um, Killian Murphy's character to go rescue him. And that's when we get the split in the storyline, blah, 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 blah. Mom runs off to go get new oxygen tanks. So she has her own little piece of the movie, which is unfortunate because most of the Emily Blunt that we get in this movie is her by herself. So she's not really, they're not really taking advantage of Emily Blunt's acting chops in this one. Not nearly as much as they did in the first one, especially with the birth scene. I mean, that birth scene was, you know, that was something special in the first movie. Um, this one, Killian Murphy is definitely the main protagonist in this film. I mean, there's almost no arguing that. Um, and Emily Blunt kind of takes a kind of a side seat or a back seat, if you will, to the action. Um, so that's something that could, you know, upset some people. But anyway, the point is, is that once, you know, we get to the radio station on the island, you know, we get the big interaction. Um, what do you call it? Reagan and Emmett are able to kill the death angel in the radio station while mom and Marcus are still back at the bunker and using a portable radio um, tuned to that radio station, they're able to take care of the death angel that's in the bunker with them. And then we get the, the abrupt ending again. And I don't know. How do you guys feel about this ending? Because I liked it in the first movie, the abrupt ending of just her killing the death angel, cocking the shotgun and saying, let's go. And the movie just ends. For some reason, I appreciated that in the first one, but this one Basically, you know, each faction kills their respective death angel and then it just goes to black. And I'm just like, I think we deserved a little bit more of a cathartic ending in this one rather than just the just bleh, the, the abrupt ending. And, OK, go home. You know, uh, how would you feel about that this time? Um, uh, oh, go ahead, OK, um, I had almost forgotten it until I'd actually for, I'm sorry the ending until I remember until they showed the flashback to the first one because I I was trying to remember like what, what actually happened to like set the movie up when I went in to watch it and then they showed like following on from the first one like what had happened so right. yeah um, seeing it like an extra hour and a half later it was kind of like wait they did it again <laughs> and it's kind of like one of those where I mean okay yeah if they're trying to if they're trying to force us like part three okay I can see that you know I can appreciate the idea behind it but it's just one of those where okay if they were really that dead set on it you could have done like maybe something a little bit more different but it's not, yeah. not like i hate it or i'm gonna like just crap over the film for it but it's just one of those like you couldn't have thought to do something else you know even if we're gonna get even if it leads to the same even if at least you know like all roads lead to the same location like you know pick something else yeah, it, it was a weird choice because I, I'm just like you. It felt like the exact same ending. At the end of the first one, it was two people who figured out how to kill the Death Angels, and then the movie ended. In this movie, they share that information with what? Maybe, a, I mean, the scope of the radio station might be fairly broad. I mean, it, it could cover most of Connecticut 
and New York if they're in Long Island Sound. But the point is how many people are actually listening to it and how many people actually understand what the feedback on the radio station now is. It's yeah. going to be maybe in the dozens. It, it might even be less than that, actually. Who's even in close contact with a deaf angel to see it affecting them in the first place? Exactly. And who's even going to yeah. understand that it's the feedback that's doing it, blah, blah, blah. So it's like I, I have a nasty feeling that if they do a third one, it's still going to be the same ending. But this time they're going to be spreading the information farther, either through the Internet or maybe some kind of Morse code system. I don't know. But it just seems like all they're really doing, the only difference between the first ending and the second to me is just the scope. It's just, you know, instead of two people figuring out how to kill the Death Angels, now maybe a few dozen might know. But that's it. They didn't really advance society anymore. Like, basically, this movie has very little consequence to the world. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, a few more people now know how to kill Death Angels, but that's not going to save the planet, you know? Yeah, and it, it, make, it does make me wonder, like is the third one going to do the same thing where it picks up immediately after? So it's like, is the beginning of the third one going to be, uh, Killian and, yeah. uh, Reagan going on their mission to go get mom and brother and baby. Cause if, if it models it after this one, then that's, I mean, is that going to be the plot of, okay, now we got to all reconnect or is the third one going to, do something a little different and pick it up where like they're already all back on the island because i assume well i can't even assume that but I, I, let's just say in general you would assume once they get them and they're on the island they're going to stay unless you know reagan has it in her that you know i have to be the the saver of you know mankind and venture uh-huh. out and start finding groups of survivors and giving them this information because I, I don't see where as far as these specific characters assuming that part three would skip to where they're already all on the island it's like well isn't that kind of the end of their story we found this island and this is where we're staying until there's some type of confirmation that the death angels are gone because like what else do you do yeah just with exactly. these characters i mean that's why I was that's why I was thinking that the second, you know, a year or two ago before we knew any information about this, I legitimately thought that they were just going to be dealing with a whole another family. Like we weren't going to see Emily Blunt or if we did, it would just be in a passing role or something. But that it was going to be a whole new family, you know, dealing with the same situation. But it looks like the Abbots are going to be the basis of this franchise moving forward. So now we have to kind of think about, OK, so it's going to be. You know, we're still going to be able to, you know, deal with all the death angels and who knows, maybe in a third one, you know, they'll they'll pull a zombie land on us and have different kinds of death angels, you know, you know, bigger ones, smaller ones, whatever the case may be. Yeah. You know, I just hope that they don't lose that core, the 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 Abbott family, because um, they kind of lost it a little bit in the second act in this one and parts of the third act. And hopefully that we we all get back together and do something that's actually going to save more people this time. Like, you know, you're saving small pockets of people here and there. I want to see something a little more global in the third one, if we're going to go to a third chapter. So that's just me. Yeah. I mean, I thought maybe like a, uh, the plot for a third one, if it isn't Abbott focused is it could be 
a group of survivors that heard the signal and were like, okay, we need to go find where this is. You know, like maybe, okay, they're trying to draw more people to the island, so it's like... Why don't just do something funny and just have a group of people hear this and say, God, that radio station just got overthrown. Fuck them. We're on our own. (laughs) Everybody turns off their radio because it's just feedback. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, overall, I, I love the film. I still do love the film. I don't love it as much as the first. Um, like I said, they're never going to be able to recreate the experience of learning about this universe and seeing all the different rules of, you know, with the Death Angels and everything else. They're probably never going to be able to reproduce that. But for whatever it's worth, this film is still, you know, a near, a near, very near flawless uh, sequel, specifically a sequel. Um, like I said, the addition of, um, a couple of tropes here and there that I'm kind of sick of, and we all know how I feel about tropes. I'm not the biggest fan of them, but you know, I, I know it's part of my genre and it's something that I have to deal with, but overall what they did in this film, I feel worked for me. You know, I may not have enjoyed the journey as much here as I did the first time, but I'm still really looking forward to the journey to continue. And I'm still on board. I will still be there opening night for Quiet Place Part 3 if it does happen. Yeah, and luckily for both these movies, uh, Inside the Theater was a quiet place. Because I think people people were conditioned after the first one that, uh, you know, the movie works better if you all just shut the hell up and yeah. don't make noise. <laughs> now, granted, granted, seeing this one... There was probably only four people in the theater because, you know, just for certain parts of the country, we're just coming out of the pandemic and theaters are just opening and all that kind of stuff. Because the first one, if I remember correctly, it was a pretty packed theater. And you could tell because of the nature of the movie that people were making an effort like not to make noise. So, Oh, no, uh, I I heard a lot of people stop eating popcorn, stop fiddling with candy wrappers shit like Aww. that yeah, that's awesome and it was a lot this one uh, for me anyway for my theater going experience this was the most crowded i've seen the movie since uh the pandemic is uh you know since the pandemic eh, quote unquote ended i know it hasn't ended but you know what yeah, i mean yeah. since the world kind of opened up this is probably what the fifth it's the fifth movie i've seen in theaters since they reopened and this was easily the most crowded um, I, I, I'd probably say, I don't know, there was probably maybe 40 to 60 people in the theater. I didn't actually sit there and count, but based on the amount of empty spaces in between seats, I'd probably say 40 to 60. And yeah, it was pretty loud at the end. You know, the action sequences were still fairly loud. But yeah, just like with the first movie, the quiet scenes, everybody shut the fuck up. I mean, people would stop moving. Uh, there was a guy like two seats ahead of me who was eating popcorn and literally right when this, when a quiet scene started, like literally halfway to bringing popcorn up to his mouth, he froze and he literally kept his arm in that position until there was a uh, noise or something noisy happened in the movie. So yeah, it seems like people are really respecting the, uh, the, the quietness of this movie and, and how it's the best way to experience it, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I think I like purposely didn't buy popcorn. Like I was thirsty because man, I bought a hot dog. <laughs> summer, summer is already ridiculous out here. So I bought like a diet Pepsi and I, I think I was thinking about buying popcorn, but I was like, you know what? I'm not because it's like, if I don't 
slam it all before the movie starts, I'm not going to want to like make exactly. any crunching noises. So I just bought a diet Pepsi and that was it. <laughs> yeah. I got a hot dog. You can eat those quietly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, all right. What do you say? Let's wrap this one up boys. All right. So that's quiet place too. And uh, we're going to go and find out what uh, everyone else has that we can listen to. So Venom, what do you got? Uh, let's see. I mean, we still have the same episode of the main show available. That's, of course, our feature reviews of Shocker and Destroyer. Um, that's uh, been available for a few weeks. We should be getting together sometime, hopefully early June, to record our very next episode, which is basically just going to be a Severance special. Uh, no More Room in Hell presents our first annual Severance special. And basically the only reason we're calling it a Severance special is because I, I happen to have bought in the last month a couple of Severance Blu-rays. And they're movies that I've never heard discussed on a podcast. So I just decided, fuck it, we're going to do it on No More Room in Hell. So, yeah. Our next episode is going to cover Jess Franco's 1981 film Bloody Moon, and we're also <laughs> going to <laughs> and we're also going to look at the 1980 quote unquote classic. Uh, what the hell's the name of it? Uh, Doctor Butcher, M.D. Medical Deviant, <laughs> also known as uh, Zombie Apocalypse or Jungle Apocalypse. Zombie Holocaust. Zombie Holocaust. There we go. So yeah. So we're going to be looking at those two Severin releases, and uh, that'll hopefully, like I said, by mid-June, that episode uh, will hopefully be out there in the ether. Um, uh, Theme Warriors, uh, we're going to be, uh, we still have our May episode out, which was um, movies that have not released a DVD or Blu-ray release in North America. So that, that episode's still available. Check that out. Our next episode we're still in the planning stages so that'll be coming hopefully sooner than later on um, it's not horror okay our latest episode is still our um uh commentary for the trey and matt movie basketball uh the guys who brought us south park and team america so check that out on dark discussions and um the two podcasts that are on hiatus are still on hiatus Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space and it and in the Mike of Madness, both still on extended hiatuses. So, you know, hopefully they'll be back soon. And I think that's it from me, Mike. Oh, wait, I do. I did have one special appearance this week. I did a guest spot on Controllers Up, Cards Down, uh, the gaming podcast on Legion Podcasts with Heather Powell and Scott Crawford. I am on the latest episode um, where we kind of just look at our, our individual histories with video games and we kind of not really do any major reviews, but we kind of talk about what we've been playing. And I, I get to talk a little bit about my history with gaming, both with video games and casino games. For those who don't know, I am a hardcore poker player. So uh, we talked a little bit about that as well. So check that out on Legion Podcast. That one you can actually watch on YouTube as well. Uh, that is a video podcast, so check it out. I would imagine it's on the Legion Podcast YouTube channel, so check that out. Um, and now I think that's it for me, Mike. <laughs> okay. Uh, Don, what do you have for people to listen to? Okay, so uh, like I said last week, um, there was a scheduling snafu, not on my end, but on the um, host of the show where I did a guest spot on a show called Hooked on Hitchcock where I joined 
um, for a look at uh, Hitchcock's film Dial in for Murder, which was a lot of fun. Originally, I thought that we were supposed to record that two weeks ago, but there was a typo in the message, and we ended up recording it last week. So that should be out by around the same time you hear this, depending on when Phil gets the episode out and about. Um, like I said, we're still uh, discussing potential dates for Graveyard Shit to return. Um, I'll laugh like every I said, time I hear have... the name of that show. <laughs> <laughs> I can't not. <laughs> Well, we did our jobs then, um, which, of course, I say we like I had any say in the matter. Um, I just showed up one day to say, hey, guess what, guys? The show Bay of Blood is no longer. We're going to be calling ourselves Graveyard Shit. So <laughs> 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 like I had any input on it, but eh, I think it's funny just like you. So, <laughs> uh, Well, because like every time you hear it for a split second, you're like, did he misspeak? And like, no, that's the Graveyard Shit show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's like I said, we're getting closer to uh, coming out with our latest episode, our comeback episode. Um, we are going to be doing a franchise retrospective. Still not going to say what it is yet because we're still not close to recording it. But like I said last time, it's going to be something involving the undead. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And like Venom said, um, Underwater Kaiju is still on hiatus, so not sure about that, but other than that, that's all I got. All right. Well, Venom covered anything that I would be appearing on, you know, in the in the near future or currently present stuff that's that's done but not out yet. So I'll just take a couple of minutes to uh, do some uh, for those that know, we're on Dark Discussions Network, and the network has been having some issues lately, but I talked to Phil, who runs it, and what he's doing, he's migrating everything to a new server. I guess what the issue is, just a little inside baseball info, is he when he built the network, he kind of did it in a way that it, it ties the website and audio feeds and everything to, like, kind of one uh one host basically so if the website itself has an issue it it's gonna affect the actual audio feeds as well so what he's doing is he's migrating the the website host to a new host and he's changing the plugin and basically from here on out once he has it all and he's giving me the eta of like the end of this week i think or early early next week um basically how it's going to work you know crossing fingers i guess um is once everything's rebuilt properly the new way is going to be that the website that aka the network is its own thing and all the audio feeds on nothing's going to change with the feeds so if anyone subscribed you don't have to change anything but basically how it's going to work is the website just acts as a mirror for the audio feed so in the future if any issues happen with the website itself, it shouldn't affect the actual audio. So the podcasts themselves should never go down when the, like if or when the website itself has issues. Cause I know that's been one of the issues is like some people will go to the website and they can get the website to load. But then when they go to play the episode, uh, it just won't play or vice versa that the website itself just won't work. And I won't get into all the issues cause Phil explained it all in like a long chat post and you know, it's a lot of 
technological stuff, but that was kind of like the basic version of like the difference between how the network is now and how it's going to be different once everything's migrated. So hopefully uh, for anyone uh, listens to the show and is like, hey, I haven't been able to get a hold of your last couple episodes or any of our other episodes of any other shows that we have on the network. Um, or explains the, why. I'm, I was just looking at it right now. On my player right now, my my podcaster, there's mm-hmm, no mm-hmm. episodes. Of the, there's no episodes in the feed. Like the entire feed just says there's there's no episodes. Yeah, I assume at some point all yeah. of it's gonna disappear when he actually does the migrating. Um, I I the last time I actually checked was I think yesterday, and then he he sent out the message to some people like, I think it was either late last night or early this morning. Um, and he was just explaining like the, the initial issue had something to do with the audio plugin. He said like, it was, it was hogging so much memory that it was dragging down the site, like to use that plugin. That's like initially what the issue was. And then he figured out that he, I, I'm assuming he talked to Jason. Cause I know Jason's like advised him a lot on, network stuff and i think it was recommended hey you need to change the way everything's built so even if the website itself has issues nothing will happen to the audio files so that's what he's doing so hopefully you know i i'm not in control of actual network stuff just responsible for my own shows so hopefully all the migrating handles a problem and you know we'll see but i just wanted to mention something in case because i know some people have reached out like hey where are all your episodes because by now people know we pretty much for the most part have a new episode of at least fresh cuts every week so um yeah so there's a chance like late this week or early next week like three episodes that you haven't heard might pop up so i guess you get a nice backlog i guess that's (laughs) the bright side but yeah i just wanted to mention that so um yeah that's that's it for me cool all right cool well with that said uh we're gonna get out of here i think what the new conjurings this week yep. so that's that's yep. penciled in for episode then um you know some people are excited some not some in the middle we'll we'll see it's a conjuring movie you pretty much know what to expect but we'll see if the story's any good and you know all that stuff yes. we'll see <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we're going to get out of here. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will catch you next time. Say bye to the listeners. Adios. Later.